Good evening, everyone in Alberta, Canada, and beyond. It is Wednesday, September 6, 2023, and I'm Carrie Lambert, and I welcome you to an online webinar, Evening of Solutions for a New Alberta, brought to you by the Alberta Prosperity Project, also known as APP. APP's purpose is to educate, inspire, and unite all Albertans, businesses, and organizations to protect their prosperity, individual freedoms, rights, and sovereignty by empowering the Alberta government to restructure Alberta's relationship with Canada. APP is membership-driven with a goal of a million-plus members to help steer the political process. We've been asked if you have to be an Albertan to join APP. No, and in fact, we encourage anyone to join, especially if you believe in freedom and are watching what's going on in Alberta and Canada. Show a little APP blurb. APP memberships are one year for $20, two years for $30, three years for $40, or you can make a donation. Excuse me, or make a donation at albertaprosperityproject.com. We also have APP merchandise at our store, which is the Alberta Prosperity Store. And you can get a funky shirt like this with APP on it, or a cap, or if you're a little baby walking around, you can even get one of those, or a coffee mug that you can show at work. And it strikes up a conversation with people, which is amazing. And that's kind of what we want to do. We also have uh, you can register for the petition to force a referendum on Alberta's independence. We have about 13,000 signatures on that right now. And you can go to bit.ly slash abvoteyes. I'll see if I can quickly find that one here. And if I can't, then I will look that up in a second. There we are. Look at that. There we go. And... Due to the new Canadian censorship laws, which I'm sure we've talked about many, many times, uh, we're unable to show news links to online content. So we do ask that you share, share, share this video if at all possible. And with that, I'm going to tell you about tonight's episode. Tonight's episode is called Trapped in Housing Hell. Why are home prices so high? And I will be joined by Tanner in a day, independent Christian economist and all-around great guy. And our very own Christopher Scott, the CEO of APP. And I'm uh, sure you can tell that we won't be staying on topic with those two because we never do. They just talk and talk and talk, which is great. Uh, and I actually, I'm probably going to take a little bit of a rest uh, being outside uh, for the last few days with these uh, wildfires with the smoke. My voice is a little bit strained, so I'll definitely be leaving it to the pros to be talking about that. This is a live webinar. So we encourage you to ask questions and make comments throughout this presentation. Just put three question marks before your question so it's flagged and we can quickly view the questions. And with that, I'm going to bring on Tanner and Chris is nowhere to be seen. He is driving back from, from somewhere because he is a busy guy. There's Tanner. How you doing, buddy? Hi, not so bad. How are you? Uh, doing good. Doing good. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if everybody in APP land knows who you are. So I think it might be a, a great way of just explaining who you are, maybe even how you were affiliated with APP and, uh, and kind of maybe just talk briefly because we've got so much stuff to talk about tonight, what we're going to be talking about tonight and, uh, and how it relates to some of the stuff that you've been doing even online. Sure. Well, like you mentioned, thanks. Uh, my name is Tanner Naday. Classically, I'm an economist. I was trained at the University of Calgary. I have my degree in economics from the University of Calgary. 
But when, when uh, of course, the lockdowns struck and government restrictions became so Orwellian and uh, ridiculous, there weren't very many jobs in economics available. So during that time, as I was, as I was uh, job hunting and searching and so on, I started up a website. It's just www.tannernaday, it's my name, .com. And there I began to write articles and uh, produce content to try and encourage as many people as possible that the present trials are uh, temporary. They're temporary trials, as bad as they, they might have been and, and are. Now, during that time of writing, I still write on my website today. It's still active. But during that time, I was contacted by a group of individuals who had started up or who were starting up or were in the middle of, um, you know, beginning the Alberta Prosperity Project. And they were looking for an economist. They were looking for someone to help them out. And after reading about the APP's structure and goals and objectives in mind, I uh, quickly agreed to to join on. And after a little while, I became the vice president of mm -hmm. economics for the mm -hmm. APP. And so we had a lot of fun touring around and, and speaking across the province and, and creating new content and um, policy papers or, or uh, possible policies and so on and so on to mm -hmm. try and shift the province and the people of the province. And as a larger consequence of that, the nation itself towards independence, pure independence from the federal government. That's the objective. That's the goal because the government is so bad. Now, I resigned under my own volition last year to once again pursue um, my own uh, objectives with regarding the website and my Facebook page and, and my other social media sites and so on. But if APP, for example, ever asks me to speak for them uh, yeah. as an independent uh, speaker, I happily do so. And I'm still in contact with a lot of people from my time there. So it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. It's been so busy lately. Yeah. And I think the topic that you chose for tonight <laughs> is an excellent one because it's so prevalent. Housing, you know, and, and yeah, it, it, it's, it's a topic that everyone talks about. And, um, yes. you know, I, I'm just going to briefly get into this. Um, I'm, you know, I, 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 I've had this house here for like almost 25 years and uh, various reasons I'm kind of looking at maybe selling or, or maybe moving or not even sure what I'm doing. And maybe that won't even happen. Maybe that won't happen for a couple of years, but I live in a, a cul-de-sac in Northwest Calgary of which three houses have gone up for, for sale down the street kind of thing. Our immediate neighbors uh, moved uh, away really just last week. And, um, and you know, the, the topic is, oh, now's the best time to sell because you, you can get so much for your money because you know, interest rates are, are at the time were, uh, were good. You could sell your house and make a profit. And then, you, and, but my question is, is, so if I stay in Calgary, where do I move to? Because no matter where I move, I'm in the exact same boat. I mean, it's the same same price. So whether or not you move, you know, you bought the house for a hundred grand, and then say, let's say it's five hundred now, then you move from a house that's five hundred. Where you go? Where do you go to? You move another five hundred, right? Right. Absolutely. And 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 the topic really is about what is like why are houses so expensive right now? Yeah. And, and renting is so expensive. Uh, we know people that are, you know, renting a basement suite here in Calgary for almost two grand a month, and it's a basement suite, right? So there's a lot of uh, uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of economic uh, issues, I guess, that that make this happen. And I know who else to ask 
who who wouldn't have a better idea of how the cogs in the wheel all work together but Tanner? Ah, so. well, it's a good question. They're yeah. all good questions. Yeah. If you want a simple answer, the reason that houses are so expensive right now and the reason that renting is so expensive right now is because of government. It's because of bad government policy. It's because the federal government in particular plunges its hands into markets where their hands aren't supposed to be, yeah. and then they distort it. Anytime a government involves itself, particularly in markets, but really in just about anything, it distorts, a, um, it distorts the market. It distorts the reality. You know, if you take a painting and rub your hands all over it, if you take a oil painting and rub your hands all over it, it distorts the painting. Yeah. The government is exactly the same when it decides to interfere in markets. And according to Trudeau or any other, really any other politician you want to cite, they can give justification X and justification Y and justification Z for intervening in the market. But whether they're well-intentioned or not, and I don't believe our federal government is well-intentioned, but whether they are or not, it doesn't matter. The distortion comes regardless. It happens anyway. So if you want to, that, that's the prime reason. That's the prime reason why housing is so expensive. But what exactly does that mean? So you have to go back really to almost uh, the Bank of Canada's inception. But, you know, we're not going to go back that far. So we'll just go back a decade or two, whatever it might be. Yeah. The bank and government loves to print money. They're very good at printing money. They're terrible at just about everything. But when it comes to printing money, they're excellent at printing money. But, you know, even then they're not that good because if they were, you know, they wouldn't be in debt. But they actually can't print enough money to keep themselves out of debt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Either way. So they print money and they print a lot of it. But the difference between, say, what we saw over the last two years, where actual individuals got a check from government using money that government had printed. Yeah. Normally, money printing doesn't quite work like that. Instead, and I'm oversimplifying, the money stays in the upper echelon of the financial system, of the financial markets. It doesn't really, um, it isn't immediately handed down to the consumer. Instead, when government prints money, when the Bank of Canada prints money, it tends to stay in the hands of big investors, you know, big companies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. yeah. All that to say, when you have all of that extra money in those upper echelon, in that upper uh, echelon of, of the financial market, you don't at least immediately see prices rise with things like groceries, things like bicycles, things like lights, things like you know, uh, fertilizer for your garden, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. doesn't yeah. quite hit that, um, those particular goods and services, at least immediately, because mm -hmm. it stays up top. Yeah. Instead, the inflation that comes as a consequence of printing all this money tends to pool in large asset purchases. Housing mm -hmm. is a great yes. example. You have yeah. these investors and these investors are rich. They don't need another bicycle for their child because they have bicycles. They don't yeah. need any more suits. They have enough suits. They have all of those things. What they do love, however, is buying up property and buying up, you know, big, massive, rich assets. Yeah. So when you look at over, you know, when you look at the last 10 years kind of thing or last five years, whatever it might be, you can see that even among times of economic downturn, Government is pumping money into that upper echelon financial market. And as a consequence, the prices of assets like houses, big assets, mm -hmm. continue to climb. They continue to rise because yeah. more and more money is being pumped into organizations and individuals and investors who then in turn buy big purchases that so they spend on big purchases like housing. Yeah. 
So what that did and what that continues to do is it signals to sellers, to housing sellers or to contractors or to builders or to who knows, you know, those who are in the market that right now it's time to sell my home because there's a demand obviously for housing. People are buying housing. Big investors are buying houses. So I'm going to keep building houses. I'm going to increase the prices because there's a demand for housing and I'm going to make money. I'm going to earn a profit. I'm going to get rich, if not quick, (laughs) um, rather quickly. So this was happening a lot. The the prices of houses continue to rise as a consequence of government pumping money into this upper echelon of the financial markets. Now, of course, it's important to remember that all of that money printing is a facade, right? All of it is a, it creates a reality that isn't really true. Under normal circumstances, people wouldn't have been buying homes. Investors wouldn't have been buying homes under the rates or at the rates that they were. They wouldn't have been buying homes so quickly and so voraciously with such a massive appetite because they wouldn't have had the capital to do so. But because government was pushing money into their pockets, they had to do something with it. And so again, they, they bought houses, they bought homes. And so it's created and it, it created and it's still there. It created this false reality, this illusion, this lie about the housing market that really wasn't and still isn't true at all, right? It's the housing market is inflated. Okay, so you have all of that and housing prices are rising and they're rising and they're rising, they're going higher and higher. Then of course you have the lockdowns, right? Yeah. Then you have this titanic shift in, in our lives that you know, is still um, reverberating in, in our lives today. Mm-hmm. So you have people locked down. And all of a sudden, everyone's staying at home and they're staying at home for a week and they're staying at home for two weeks and they're staying at home for five weeks and 10 weeks and then months and months on end. And all of a sudden, with the prospect of working at home forever for the rest of your life, it became for many families living with children, spouses and so on, absolutely necessary to upgrade their current living arrangements. They needed new housing or they wanted to renovate, right? Because... If this was going to be an office, a playground, um, you know, a home with bedrooms, an exercise room, et cetera, et cetera, then they had to change their living arrangements. The ones that they had before the lockdowns were insufficient. During the lockdowns, they realized they needed something different because their need for housing and for it to be more than just housing increased. And so they went on hunting for new homes. So now the market's really hot. Now the market's really booming because not only do you have high housing prices from government spending before, but now you have people searching for more and more houses at an increasing rate. Yeah. So you have those two issues. Well, then coupled with interest rates, things get really, really hot, right? Because of course, any individual could have walked into a bank and then he looked up at the signs and saw that interest rates were so low. They were you know, devilishly low. They were too good to be true and they were, but it didn't matter, right? When you saw rates at less than 1%, oh my goodness gracious, you were so excited because you could take out a mortgage for a home that you normally couldn't have afforded. You don't have, or you didn't have the capital to afford it. You could take out a mortgage and say, it's cheap for me to do so. Why not? Why shouldn't I buy this dream house of mine? I can, you know, the interest rates are low. It's encouraging me to spend. Money is so easy right now. It's just waltzing into my hands from government. Thank you, government. And as a consequence, I'm going to spend it on something which I don't really have the means to do so, but I'm going to anyway. So high housing prices before because of money printing. 
lockdowns. People want more housing. That increases demand for housing, which means that it increases the price for housing. You have low interest rates, which encourages people to spend. More people are buying homes than they normally would, which also increases demand. It continues to shift to the right further and further and further. And you have supply shortages, at least according to the news. You can't get lumber or it's very expensive to find lumber. You, of course, it's difficult to find workers because everyone's locked down. You can't find this, that or the other thing to actually build a home. And so the ones that were already there, the homes that were already built, right, again, increased in price because there wasn't a supply of new homes coming right. in to meet the new demand. Now, remember, again, all of this is a facade. All yeah. of this is an illusion that's been conjured by government. The lockdowns yeah. instituted by government, the low interest rates, Bank of Canada and government, they're far, they were far too low. They never yeah. should have been that low, but they were. So be it. Um, money printing. Right. Of course, government supply shortages. Who knows how that was? <laughs> who knows what happened there? Again, it's caused by government because you have um, nobody working. And our leaders, of course, are so uh, so typical of our leaders. OK, yeah, you have all of those problems. Housing yeah. continues to rise. It's important to note that during that time, I'm talking a lot. I know. <laughs> anyway, oh, that's great. No, that's great. Yeah. It's important to note that during that time, while prices of homes continued to rise, rent was the opposite. When you looked in, say, 2021, the mm-hmm. average rent decreased in this country. Right? Okay. Isn't that strange? So you have housing prices that look like this. But then you had renting prices that looked like this. People weren't renting. Right? The demand wasn't for housing. Or the demand wasn't for shelter, sorry. The okay. demand in that era was for housing. People yeah. wanted to purchase houses. They didn't just want a place to live because then they would have taken something cheaper like rent because rent was decreasing. Yeah. No, they wanted a house, right? And it's different. Now, of course, the situation has changed now in our modern day, which we can talk about in a moment. But yes. either way, housing was increasing, rent was decreasing. People didn't want to rent. People wanted to own a home. They wanted to purchase a home. They wanted a big structure that they could call their own. And mm-hmm. because it seemed like it was such an easy thing to purchase, they decided to go for it. Okay, so you have all of these lies. This whole market now is built on a massive lie. And as everyone knows, you can't lie forever. You can lie for a little while, maybe. You can lie for a month or a year or a couple of years, but eventually reality is going to demand its debt be paid. Eventually the truth is going to knock at your door and say, time to pay up. You can't lie any longer. Here I am. He's like the grim reaper, right? Yep. He's come to, to demand that yep. the lie be silenced. It starts to crumble. That's exactly what happened with Canada. That's exactly what happened with our housing market. You have all of these problems. And then one day suddenly, uh uh-oh, right? Governments printed too much and they've been printing too much for a long time. Inflation, which was supposed to be transitory and short-lived, turns out it wasn't like, like economists were warning because they knew that money printing, it actually doesn't cause inflation. Money printing is inflation. If you print money, you're going to have inflation. So that was high. It still is high. Um, and so with all of that now crumbling down, the Bank of Canada says, wait, well, we have to raise interest rates. We're going to raise interest rates to try and bring down inflation. Now, actually, when you look at models and, and, and history, it's not actually abundantly clear that high interest rates mean or that high interest rates mean low inflation. Not at all. Um, there are countries that that disagree with that. You can have you can have and often do have high interest rates and high inflation at the same time. But either way, it doesn't really matter for this particular topic. What matters is that the Bank of Canada said we have to raise interest rates 
in order to bring inflation down. So that's what they did. They started raising interest rates and they increased them some more and they increased them a little bit more and they continued to slow but sure climb the ladder of, of interest rates until they became or they're becoming now unsustainably high for many new um, housing owners, right? Because when they purchased their mortgages, when they purchased their homes, they did so under the presumption that interest rates would stay at X percent for that's a long right. time. It turns out that's not the case. Now yeah. interest rates are rising. Those people on a variable rate mortgage are sweating because what their mortgage payment was last month or last year or two years ago is nowhere near what it's going to be when they renew right, their mortgage because the interest rates are so much higher. So yeah. now people are nervous, right? Now people are scared and rightfully so in that regard because they can't afford their homes anymore. They can't afford their mortgage payments or they can't afford them without foregoing their car payments or foregoing groceries or foregoing this recreation or this leisure, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Yeah. So now things are in a tough break, right, in a difficult position. Maybe some people start to sell their home, right? Maybe they say, this is too much. I have to get out of it. I want to get something which is cheaper and which is more sustainable. But again, the market isn't exactly, doesn't work like one day it's this and the next day it's that. It takes a little bit of time to react. So people are still wanting homes, right? It's yeah. just that now people are starting to sell because the interest rates are high. Yeah. This has also been exasperated by the liberals' mass immigration policy. This isn't blaming immigrants. I'm not blaming immigrants for the housing crisis. What yeah. I am saying is that Canada is being flooded with an unprecedented number of individuals every single year who need places to live. They need houses to live in. But That's again, right. of course, we're not building houses at the capacity that people want to. The supply is still restricted. The yeah. supply of new homes is still battened down. It's still, you know, it's still lower than what people wanted or expect. And so as a consequence, those individuals or government has to buy the homes which already exist. So the demand is still there for housing. You still need housing. And yeah. so people can sell their homes at a higher price. You see, they can, sell, they can sell them at a very high price because the demand is still um, existent. But yeah. as the interest rates continue to rise, buying a home becomes less and less desirable. And selling your home, which people can't afford anymore, becomes increasingly... Um, increasingly desirable it becomes yeah. increasingly appetizing to try yeah. and preserve your lives you know to try and preserve your your quality of life now that's why you know that's that's why the housing market is hot there's a whole you see there's a whole library of reasons why prices are so high yeah however the housing market's funny right because the stock market the way the market works the stock market is one day it's high the next day it crashes right the next day you have a um you know, you have a massive crash like this. Housing's different, right? The way housing works is, is much different than the stocks. Insofar as, whereas a stock might go like this and then crash one day, a housing market is more like a balloon that has a leak in it. And mm -hmm. so it slowly, slowly, slowly loses pressure until one day you wake up and you realize that the balloon is flat. So say you bought your home for a million dollars, let's say. In this economy, gets you a one bedroom, one bathroom. <laughs> anyway. certainly, yeah, certainly it depends on if you're talking about Alberta or uh, yeah. Toronto. We're, we're going to get into that a little bit later too. Yeah, and, yeah location plays a part, of course, mm -hmm. and, and taxes and other factors, etc. But, but either way, um, you say you bought your home for a million dollars at you know one percent interest rate, whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, interest rates rise. 
and they continue to rise and they continue to rise. And now they're at, say, let's use an extreme example. They're at 10 or 15% interest rates. And so, of course, you can't afford your home anymore. So you try to sell it, but you realize, and only it's only after you put up your for sale sign that you realize that people don't really want your home at a million dollars anymore or 1.2 because the interest rates are so high and because the demand for housing has changed. Mm-hmm. So you drop it down to a million. Nope, nothing. Well, then you drop it down to 900. Nope, nothing. Then you drop it down to 700. Nope, nothing. You drop it down to who knows what until eventually maybe someone picks it up. But then your neighbor does the same thing and he finds out the same as well. And then his neighbor does that. And then the person across the street tries to sell the home. And eventually all of them realize that their houses are worth about a fraction or they're worth a fraction, say they're worth half of what they paid for. And then people wake up one morning and realize that their houses aren't worth what they paid for them. And so the market crashes, right? People just walk away from their homes. Why would they pay a million dollar mortgage on a home that's now only worth $600,000? There is no reason to do so. Be nonsense, be foolish for them to do so. So instead, like they did in, what was it, the 80s, right? They take the keys, put the keys in the mailbox, whatever it is, and go to the airport and go somewhere else because they have to change their style of life. So yeah, all these that in the housing crash in the in the U.S. that was a bit of yeah, a scenario. Yeah, yeah, that was built on a lie too. Of course, you had you had nonsensical mortgage bonds that yeah. were completely they were totally false. They were built on a lie, and then one day people woke up and said, "Uh oh, the lie has been exposed, and yeah. the house that I bought for this amount isn't worth what it was." Or um, the person who bought the house isn't as stable financially as what I thought he was and so yeah of course the market crashes so what then what the picture i've painted is the housing market the reason it's in such a disastrous disastrous state right now is because of government it's government's fault right they've built these lies to keep themselves in power and now individuals like yourself or myself or well actually anyone in the country rich or not is suffering as a consequence of it they're suffering because of um distortions they can't see what's actually happening i guess the ultra rich perhaps right but for the for the vast majority of canadians they're suffering as a consequence of these ridiculous lies that governments have told and now you know to use an old term the hen is coming the chicken's coming back to roost that's right so with you saying it's the government's fault is this really a federal government problem because they're they're Mm. printing money i mean there's lots of factors but is that kind of the big one for you Right. For me, it is. Yes. Now, so there are other factors that affect housing prices, like uh, zoning laws, municipal zoning laws. Those are ridiculous. You know, like even um, (laughs) anytime government gets involved in any sort of house, it's nonsense. I think it's such nonsense that you have to go to the city to get a permit to build a deck. That's garbage. It's your property or it's supposed to be your property. That is such nonsense. But anyways, those sorts of zoning policies that municipalities are required to adopt and implement also uh, change the price of housing, certainly. But I place this blame for the housing market primarily on, yes, the federal government, because even though they won't explicitly say it, they do, right? The Bank of Canada and government are like this. They work together like this. Yeah, They control the interest rates. They control the, the amount of money in the economy. Um, yeah, those two really are the big ones. Interest rates and the amount of money in the, co- in the economy have a massive effect on the price of housing. So yes, I do put the blame primarily on those two institutions. Yeah. 
Yeah, lots lots of comments. This is definitely a hot topic for people. You know, they uh, they were people had asked about the uh, the immigration. I know we were briefly talking about that. Mm. Uh, Patrick says 30% of new young immigrants to Canada want to go back within the next two years. There's a lot of reasons why, but definitely is due to the high cost of living and sure. to find housing. Sure. And uh, another comment um, uh, from Bonnie Henry. How do you think immigration has affected the rental market? Here it's swallowing up all new listings as immigrants were living two to three families to a home and are now moving on and sponsoring more and more extended family members. Ah. That's a good question. So I yeah. now I can get back. To, I forgot about the rest of that rental yeah. uh, section of the, of the talk, which is yeah. now rent has increased, of course. Yeah. Now housing and rent are both jumping. They're both spiking. Because yeah. Rent is spiking now because, again, people can't afford their homes. So yeah. instead, they have to go rent something, which drives up the demand for rent, even yeah. though the supply of rent is relatively stagnant and stable. Yeah. It doesn't really change. And so the only way to meet the increasing demand is to increase the prices of rent. And like you mentioned, now we're seeing basement suites that are going for $2,000. I remember when I lived in yep. Calgary, has yep. jumped hundreds and hundreds of dollars in prices, the, the apartment or the condo that I was at. Um, yep. So yeah, the, the more people demand something, the more that people demand something, all else equal, right? Yep. The higher the price of that thing will be. It's a very simple, it's a very elementary supply and demand graph, right? Yep. When people want something more, we see the demand curve, which measures the price of a good in terms of how many goods. I had to think here. This is actually P and Q. It measures um, the price of goods and the quantity of goods that are produced at a certain point, you know, mm -hmm. in, a, in an economy. Yeah. The more that people demand some good, that the more this demand curve shifts to be more expensive, basically. It shifts to yeah. the right, we say. Yeah. So that's what's happening with the rental market as well. Rental market, housing market, both are the same. People demand this good yeah. rent. They demand housing. They demand rental spaces. And yeah. so to meet that new demand, the curve shifts to the right. Now, yeah. supply can meet, they can change, that can change too, right? People can build more houses to introduce more competition to bring down the cost, right? They can introduce more rental units, right? You can build new apartments, new condos, but that isn't an instantaneous thing. That takes yeah. a lot of time. That takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of capital. And yeah. so it's laggy, right? The new supply is very laggy to a point where, like that comment mentioned, people want to leave the country because yeah. it's too expensive. No, that's right. And the lag is a big thing because I know even in Calgary here, we have we have houses that seem to be growing up everywhere. Like yep. uh, all the all on the outskirts, yep. but there used to be a, a period there where you would you would by the time you actually got your your mortgage and and you committed to signing on the dotted line to get something built, it was three to six months. Yep. Now I'm hearing it can be eight up to eighteen months. Yes. So, and things. you get this juggle where people are selling, and then they they think that their house is going to be ready to go and it's not. So then they're looking for rent. Yep. in order to be this transition like it's a horrible time it almost makes me just want to say i'm comfortable just sitting here i'm not yeah. moving at all because that is going to be a big issue for a lot of people selling right? certainly absolutely there's so much yeah. on you know the government are well both every government but again the federal government in particular is so good at introducing uncertainty into our markets whether it be the housing market 
the um, you know the grocery market, the pipeline market, et cetera. They're so good at introducing uncertainty into those markets, and yep. that's the prime enemy of of um, you know investment. It's the prime enemy of trying to make rational decisions for the future. How yep. do you or anyone else? How does anyone know what to do in the future, preparing for the future? When they yeah. don't know what our government's going to do tomorrow. Absolutely. That's, <laughs> That's right. It's yeah. so difficult, right? We don't yeah. know, you know, even with the Bank of Canada, I'm not arguing that interest rates should have stayed low. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. But again, it's so difficult to telegraph whether or not they're going to raise interest rates that it becomes almost impossible to accurately predict as an individual what's yeah. going to happen in the future. And so you're trying to make plans about what should I pay here? What should I take a mortgage out or a loan out for here? When should I sell this thing? But it's almost impossible to know because you don't know what's happening tomorrow. Thanks again to the dear federal government. You are correct. Uh, We have a quote here from a friend of ours, Christopher Scott. The high cost of living ain't nothing like the cost of living high by Jamie Johnson. And with that, I'm going to bring on Mr. Christopher Scott, who's been sitting, trying to get his computer working. And uh, maybe that, maybe you got a little bit too close to the fan there and you got your hair cut there, Chris. <laughs> I think that's exactly what happened. <laughs> I actually, I set up this new computer and I finally get it working. And then I, I had to steal parts from the other one that I was going to use. Yeah. And uh, then I couldn't remember what the password was. So I spent about 20 minutes trying to reset the password. <laughs> Well, here you are. Have you have you been listening in on uh, Tanner's w- words of wisdom? I have, yeah. yeah. And like always, um, uh, Tanner nails it yeah. uh, with a very sensical, logical, common sense perspective on this stuff, which yeah. apparently is exactly what our federal government does not have. Yeah, they're they're literally doing 140 in an 80 zone with the economy and finance right now in this country, and they're gonna they're gonna get pulled over and get a ticket. Yes, that's a that's a good way of that's a good way of describing it. They're they're our government is so the actors in government act so opposite of common sense. There's no common sense in government unless now. So you and I and those who are watching the stream look at what government is doing again, almost any government. But we'll focus on the federal government in particular because they provide so many generous examples of their foolishness. You, <laughs> You look at what they're doing and it makes, you know, you go, how on earth can you possibly think this is the right thing to do? You know, how can you think this is the rational thing to do? And I don't believe there is an answer except to say they want to do this. I know that, of course, this, you know, people say this sounds like conspiracy. You're a conspiracy theorist. Government wants to help. And it's like, yeah, right. And then it's like, wake up and wake up and smell the roses because that's not true at all. Can you imagine being a, a politician in power, knowing that if people reach a point where they can no longer pay their mortgage and they can't afford groceries and they yeah. can't afford recreation and they can't afford the necessities in life, their car, fuel, et cetera, et cetera, okay. knowing how desperate they'll be. Can you imagine the power that you could just imagine yourself being bathed in with people coming to you for help as a government, right? I can't pay my mortgage. So I have to go to government for help. I can't pay my car payments. So I have to go to government for help. And all of a sudden, Trudeau or any other politician holds your life in the palm of his hand and he can do practically whatever he wants without any real political flashback or at least serious political flashback, right? C.S. Lewis has this great essay called Willing Slaves of the Welfare State. Mm 
and he talks about how really an economic um, power is more devastating than a military one because no man would dare bark back or bite the hand that is currently feeding him and his family. If people get food stamps from government, how much more obedient will the population be than if the government is oppressing them, you know, explicitly? So I think there's a strategy to all of this nonsense that government well, is imposing. I have a theory and it's, it's actually maybe not so much a theory as one of my very controversial statements, but I think the governments or the politicians know exactly what they're doing. Yes. And they know that these policies that they're bringing out are not to the benefit of the people. But what they do is they convince people who are ignorant of reality or fail to um, bother, bother pursuing realistic uh, ideas. They can convince them that these things are real. And whose fault is that? Mm. Is it the dog's fault for for stealing the steak off the table or is it our fault for leaving it there? So we have a society right now that is largely ignorant to most of the things that we've been talking about, that you've been talking about, Tanner. I mean, how many people in this country don't even really know how to do their taxes? How many people don't understand how a mortgage works or how savings works? We don't learn these things in school. It's trial and error. And the politicians know that. So it's very easy for them to come up with policies that appear to be wonderful for us. Oh, this is going to fix the housing market. Oh, if we raise inflation, if we raise the interest rates, it's going to it's going to slow down inflation. These are all good things, right? We should just trust the government. But the reality is they're they're tricking us uh, into believing in them and it's due to our own ignorance. Uh, and and I I'm not saying that uh, you know, I'm less ignorant than anyone else on this stuff. Um, and I and I've been tricked by a lot of these government policies as well. So Part of this is uh, people accepting responsibility for our own failures to pay attention and make sure that what they're doing is actually in our best interest. I'm I'm quite concerned about uh, new home buyers and uh, what they're going to end up getting trapped into, and especially no like kidding. you know, if it was a million dollar home and you know everybody wants something brand spanking new, blah blah blah, and they were buying it at one percent and now it's five percent. And, you know, in a couple of weeks, it might be 6% or 7% and then they will be trapped and, and they're going to end up just walking away. And, and, and it's, it's just a, a horrible, horrible and situation. Who benefits, Carrie? What's who that? Benefits? When an oil field worker goes and buys a million dollar home, they're yep. making $300,000 a year. Oh, I'm making great money. Interest yep. rates are good. I can afford this home. You're right. Then yep. we go through a little bit of a recession or oil price tanks or whatever all of a the sudden they're not working yeah. and they have to walk away for their home or they're foreclosed right. on who benefits from that. Yeah. It's the bank that wrote the mortgage in the first place, yeah. knowing how precarious of a situation that buyer was in yeah. and they turn around and they hold on to that house until things recover, which they generally do. And then they sell the house or, or whatever, and they make a pile of money by actually selling it to another person who probably mortgages it with them and makes them a whole bunch more money. Like this is, it's such a racket. I just, maybe I should have been on the other side of that. Just kidding. Well, yeah. No, it's dirty. It's dirty is what it is. It, oh, it, it absolutely is. is. You know, I was, uh, one of my first jobs, uh, well, right out of high school, first year uh, college was uh, working at an insurance company. 
And uh, I ended up just getting in and doing uh, multimedia even before it was called multimedia. So that was me in the insurance company, but all my friends were actuaries or they were underwriters or, or any of that sort of stream. And here I've done so many different paths and yet they've kept that path forever working at the insurance company and now they're retired, you know, and now they're living their life. Well, I mean, you can take that however you want to, you want to read it, but I mean, essentially they, they were doing really, really well financially. I don't know if they were doing really, really well life experience, but uh, you, yeah, you and I easily probably could have done some sort of actuary. You've got the glasses and now the haircut for it. I like I'm it. Very my, nerdy. I'm I know really for the nerdy look. People say I need a haircut, but it's still, Sorry, Connor. That's, that's right. right. People say I need a haircut, but I'm still <laughs> I'm still growing it out. <laughs> well, you got you got good hair. Oh, well, um, thank you. Lot, lots of lots of comments again here. So, um, my brother-in-law builds new houses to sell. He used to have to live in a new home for six months before selling. Now he has to hold on to the house for a year before selling. Sure. Any comment on that? Sure. Um, I've heard both sides. I've heard both stories. I know, um, yeah, um, I know an individual, a family whose neighbor just put up their house for sale. Yeah. First day they had 10, 10 offers the first wow. day yeah. quick. Now, yeah. again, it's like location's a big deal. It was, yeah. it's, it's not a mansion of a home, right? Yeah. For all we know, it's people downsizing, et cetera. But no, I think it's the market is so the market is so confused right now it doesn't know what to do because it's trying to go in all these different directions because it's been given all of these different signals like you know you ask what's the problem with government injecting itself into markets into free markets and the answer is very simple prices are good we love prices we have to love prices because price is a signal of value it tells you something it tells you a lot of things actually but primarily it tells you how valuable a good is to society. So, you know, um, this this book here, this journal, isn't priced at a million dollars because the society doesn't value it at a million dollars. Instead, it values it at 20 or whatever it might be dollars. We like prices. It gives us an indication of what what's happening in the world, whether things are scarce, whether goods are hard to come by, whether they're in abundance, who knows what. With housing- can be manufactured too. Absolutely. Think With housing- It's full of diamonds. And yep. all of a sudden, diamonds are rare, you know? Yep. Oh, sure. Oh, ap introduce something artificial. Absolutely. Yep. Now, with housing, though, you have government that, again, is distorting those prices by printing more money, by offering these ridiculous interest rates, by um, flooding the nation with new individuals who otherwise wouldn't be here and who builders and contractors weren't expecting to be here five years ago kind of thing. And it causes the prices to go on this roller coaster of a ride. They don't know where they're supposed to be because all of the information that they're being fed is information that wasn't supposed to be there. It's just, it's not right. It's wrong. So I've heard some guys say that they've like that comment said, have to sit on their houses for a long time, right? Others say they're selling them quickly. So it's almost like <laughs> you go to a real estate agent or something and they say, well, the market's good for buying. And then they'll go, the market's good for selling. It's like, well, which one is the market good for? <laughs> it's a good time to be a buyer or a seller. So yeah. what I mean to say is, yeah, the market's a mess. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to hear either story, to hear either story. And again, so much of that depends on location. So much yeah. of that depends on the size of the home, on 
um, even something like the weather. There are so many factors that affect prices that it's almost impossible to nail down just one. But you can say, well, yeah, when the government prints like this, it causes these issues. If you guys are okay with it, I'd like to offer up a scenario real quick and then maybe move on to some solutions. Sure. Okay, so let's let's consider this. In uh, some big cities, and actually right now there's, there's rumblings of this coming in Calgary. They're talking about rent control. So mm. for those of you that don't know, rent control is the government stepping in and saying, okay, you cannot increase your rent more than this. You can't charge this for rent, whatever. They, they are injecting themselves into the rental market. They're no longer you know, regulating, they're, they're actually trying to administer. So let's look at this, for example, Calgary, say, say Calgary puts in rent controls. Tanner, you're a, you're a housing investor. You're a, mm -hmm. a, a property management company. If you have the government telling you how much you can offer your rentals for, yep. are you going to build new rentals? Are you going to invest in that kind of market? Right. It's nonsense. Right. So now the government injects themselves. They say, this is, the, this is for the people. This is so good for you. We're going to keep your rent down. But the reality is what they've done is they've interfered with the market to the point where it's not able to repair itself because now investment doesn't come. Because as a property manager, you're going to say, hey, if I can only charge $800 a month, I guess now we'd say, let's say $2,800 a month for a $3,500 property. I'm not going to invest in that. I'm not going to buy it. And that's one less building that's built. That's one more townhousing complex or townhouse complex, one more apartment building that isn't built. And, and the end result is extended periods of uh, very, very low vacancies. Mm -hmm. And so that's just one example that I've been thinking about lately about how government dipping their fingers in business is, is uh, on the surface, people will beg for it because they tell them how much it's going to help them. But the reality and the outcome, the, the reality that slaps them in the face, as Tanner has, has uh, so often mentioned at APP speaking events, um, it, it, sh it shows up and it, and it, and it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't stop for politicians. Mm -hmm. yes. So with that said, Tanner, what, what's the solution here? Oh. Uh, the Alberta Prosperity Project, as you know, we're all about solutions. And yeah. uh, we've talked about these things quite a bit in the past. There are solutions to, some, to these issues. What are some of the things that Alberta could specifically do uh, to deal with housing issues? Right. The unfortunate truth is the most immediate solution is going to hurt. It has to hurt. This is what's so devastating about government involving itself in markets is that when they do so, right, when they print money, when they increase the inflation in the country, when they spend and spend and tell you to spend and spend and spend as much as you can on everything you want, right? For the moment, a couple months, a year, who knows how long it might be, things are excellent or they seem excellent. Again, it's a deception. It's a, it's a mirage. It's a lie. But the, the uh, immediate perception of reality is that things are great, right? Everyone's buying things. Economy's quote unquote booming. Everyone's happy, right? You can... Now, I don't drink, but you can you can compare it right to a night of drinking. It's mm -hmm. it's eleven thirty at night. It's one in the morning. People are really giving her on the sauce. <laughs> they're you know they're feeling good. They're partying. They're living their 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 um how would you say it their wild lives and everything feels great. But then eventually the sun comes up. Right, it's five in the morning. It's six in the morning. It's seven in the morning, and the party dies down, and the alcohol stops flowing. And people have to go home. And then they do. 
Then they lay on the couch and they are assaulted with the most blistering headache, right? The most blistering feeling of just sickness, right? This gross, overwhelming feeling that that the alcohol needs to purge itself from from I, his or her body. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> this is all new to me. Oh, right. And so, so you have to endure a hangover after yeah. a night of binge drinking in the same way after a, a protracted period of spending money and all of this nonsense with the housing market, you're going to have to endure a period of financial hardship, of economic hardship. The economy is going to plunge into a recession. It has to happen because the market has to straighten itself out, right? It's like a man that has a broken arm. That arm has to be set, but it's going to hurt to be set, but it has to be set. Otherwise it won't heal. So the market has to tumble, it has to be plunged into a recession and basically government has to clear out from the market. It usually doesn't, but it has to. And then it can, the market can build itself back up again. So what I mean to say is the most immediate solution basically is for government to say, we're getting out of the markets. We're going to let them do what they're supposed to do. We're going to let them act freely and watch how things play out. It sounds like a almost a nihilistic solution, but it's not. It's actually the opposite. It's the most one of the most difficult decisions that a government can make because it's going to be so politically disagreeable and at least at the, at the start, not very profitable politically. So they have to remove themselves from the market. The market has to tumble. The market has to crash. And then things can get sorted out from there. It'll build itself back up on truth, not on lies anymore. So that might means again, or that might mean again, your housing property will decrease in value, right? Yeah. Or uh, people will have to move. These are all very difficult things that are undesirable, but again, they're consequences of living in a world of lies. They're consequences of living in a world that's saturated with deceit. This is yeah. what happens when politicians choose to play with the lives of the people and citizens, the citizens are hurt because of it. So that's the most immediate solution yeah. after that. <laughs> the way to do, the way to fix um, the issues we presently have as a government is really to not do anything at all. Government needs to not be in the business of money printing. It has to be locked away from that business. That's right. It needs to be locked away from the business of setting interest rates. That's horrible. It has to be locked away from any political interference in money markets, in free markets, in the housing market, et cetera, et cetera, so that the market is allowed to work. Now, the question is, will you get that? Will you have that while you're still attached to Canada as we are in the current state, in the current situation we're in? And my answer is no, you won't. And if you do have it with a leader or two, it'll happen for a couple of years at best. But then the governments will change as they always do. And because Ottawa is so far away, you can't really give them a stern discipline because they're too far away to be disciplined. And so the cycle will, will repeat. You know, they, people blame booms and busts on capitalism. No, it's nonsense. It's government. Government causes the boom and the bust in that regard. They're the ones that cause the expansion of the economy to look like this. And then they do something stupid and down it goes and so on. And that cycle will continue to repeat unless government decentralizes and Alberta becomes far more independent from the federal government from Ottawa than what it currently is. That government is too centralized. It's too big. It's too, it's a hydra that can't be contained or controlled. And so Alberta and the other provinces need to emancipate themselves from that hydra. They need to flee from that hydra, so to say, and instead create something which is far smaller, 
far more decentralized and can be controlled by the people much easier than what we have right now. You want to hear something funny? What? So in these situations when there's a recession and it's generally the middle and lower class that suffer, right? Mm -hmm. It's generally the middle class that can't quite make their payments and they end up losing homes, losing vehicles, that sort of type of thing. Well, just like the stock market, anytime somebody loses, there's also a winner. So in these situations, oftentimes, almost all of the time, the winner is the bank because the banks are insulated from failure for the most part in that the government will step up and prop them up when they make ridiculous mistakes uh, pursuing lies like they did with the housing bubble, the crash that we that we saw in, in 08. Mm-hmm. Now, these people who benefit from these col- the collapses that actually are the ones that kind of rein in all of the poker chips that we can no longer sustain, they're also the ones that lobby government and make some of these policies knowing full well that it's not in the best interest of the people. Oftentimes, the winners in these situations are the very same powerful people that have convinced the governments to go down these paths in the first place. And like I said before, this is, it's dirty, it's corrupt, and the only reason it's uh, its allowed to continue is that we're too unaware of what's going on to do anything about it, and we expect the government to save us. So I would say, until we're willing to accept responsibility and pay attention and, and fix these things, uh, nothing will change. And that's that's what Alberta has to do. Alberta has to stand up and say, hey... We're not going to allow this anymore. We need to pursue reality and reason and not this fairy tale ideology. Uh, and we're going to do it to the benefit of the people. Then we're going to see some real change. A little bit of pain, but well worth it. Yes. Yeah. Our friend Walter says, Tanner, do you think this collapse is designed to fall in a certain direction and favorable to big money? Yes. Well, it's certainly designed to fall in a specific direction. I like Chris's comment regarding the banks and government. Banks and government have to be separated. Chris is exactly right. When banks know that they're going to be insured from their failure to make good business decisions, then they're going to make foolish business decisions. Can you imagine going to a horse race, betting on the horses, knowing that even if you lose, there's a guy right behind you who's just going to give you the money that you lost anyway, right? right. You, 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 would, you would engage in the f- most foolish of bets, right? Because you're not going to lose. All, you're going, all that's going to happen to you is, is you're the same off as you were before. So there has to be consequences for actions. If the banks want to make bad investments, fine, let them. It's not my, you know, that's not my problem. And when they fail, then the banks have to fail too. That sends a signal then to other banks, to everyone. Don't make stupid business decisions because if you do, you're going to fail and there's no one there to bail you out. You can't go to government or you shouldn't be able to go to government and knock on their door and say, I need some more money because um, I made this stupid business decision because I invested in someone or something that I shouldn't have. That's the way you have a market operate. Now, is it designed to fall in the direction of big money? Well, regardless, it's designed to fall in the direction that will benefit specific individuals in whatever way right? Perhaps a crash is meant to come as far as government's concerned so that they can say, you see, this capitalist system again has crashed. It keeps crashing. We need a new system. We need a new system of economics here. Let's implement 
uh, digital currency, a centralized digital currency. Let's yeah. implement an economic system where we control yeah. things. So that way, these booms and busts won't happen anymore. You can have your house, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we're not plagued by the by the disease of free market capitalism. I could very well see that being the reason for a crash. Or can you go ahead? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Sorry to interrupt. Can you imagine that governments actually do that? Like, I can't even imagine a scenario where a government would say to a big corporation or company, hey, you know, roll out your product. Um, it's fine that it's dangerous. We won't hold you liable if it harms <laughs> or kills people. Um, mm -hmm. Let's just roll it out. You can make $100 billion. And if people die, then don't worry about it. You're, we, won't, uh, we won't allow anyone to sue you. I can't imagine a government would do that because that's not to our benefit at all. No, no. <laughs> I can't think of a single situation where that would have taken place or whatever. Me neither. Thank goodness we have Trudeau to protect us from those types of things. Thank yeah, goodness. Absolutely. That's, I have to, uh, pardon me. I, I'll be, I have to go throw up. I'll be right back. <laughs> I have two sorts of uh, conversations here, and then we'll probably wrap this up for the, the evening. Although we're only an hour in. I mean, we could easily talk about this for another hour. But uh, our friend Maria says, we own three rental properties, no mortgages. And if we don't increase the rent for our renters, us as landlords have to pay an increase in inflation tax that happens to us last like every year. Right. And, and so that's, that's an important thing dealing with uh, the rental as well as the, the home ownership. And Vicky actually even says it a little bit further. This market also creates a bad situation for renters, not just for price, but for abuse. People will not expect good service from landlords if they have nowhere else to go. Mm. Yeah. What we want is, is, yeah, we want as much competition as possible yeah. uh, under the present circumstances. That's not possible. And so those individuals in the market who are renting to renters have more power than they otherwise would. That's true. Yeah. Which lead to difficulties. That's right. Um, and then here's, here's kind of where I wanted to go with this. The reason I'm moving to Alberta is that I no longer owe anyone a dime. And I think that was based upon, and I'm just going to call up this page here. So this is the uh, national price map from the C uh, Calgary real estate or uh, Canadian real estate. And, uh, and you can by all means go and do this yourself. It's just crea.ca. And you can actually see comparing apples to apples, if you want to call that in, uh, in, in this way, although there are definitely apples to pineapples. Um, and this one tells you what the average price is, say, in, and I'll go, let's just say uh, Calgary. And we're going to pick another one. We're going to pick uh, Ontario and Toronto. Greater Toronto. So for a house that was last year, uh, 520,000 bucks is now 550. So probably an increase of, you know, 8%, whatever works out to be. And, uh, but that same house in Greater Toronto was 1.145. And now it's more, it's another 20,000 bucks more. That's, that's a comparable house. So Check it's Vancouver. no look, look at Vancouver, Carrie. Look at Vancouver. Just I remember uh, watching those shows on HGTV oh, it, about people yeah. buying homes. Like, yeah, I, I walk dogs and I bake cakes, and our budget is about one point two million. What? It is one point two million. Good. Wow. Yeah. How is that even wow. possible? You know what the average house in Mirror is? Uh, it doesn't show up in here, but let me see if there's something. It that... It's like I think it's like uh, two hundred and fifteen thousand is the average home in Mirror. South Central. There you go. So, well, kind of. Yeah, I'd go with that. 
But so, you see what's happening here. Yeah. Last year it was 201,000 South Central Alberta. This year it's 267. Now there's a good reason for that. Probably it's because people... our housing market out here is actually pretty hot because a lot of these people in the cities, they can no longer service a, a six or seven or $800,000 mortgage, but they sure yeah. as heck can service a $267,000 mortgage. So we're selling a lot of houses out here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and uh, prices are going up. And here's another comment. Should go to the Saskatoon or Regina, better housing prices and just as much work. I'm just going to look that up. So we were looking at originally Calgary, and now we're just going to look in Saskatchewan. Let's go. Uh, let's go Regina. And it's true, it's three hundred thousand. But I would, I would, I'm not going to slam Saskatchewan because I love Alberta. But and my family is originally from uh, Saskatchewan and Manitoba. But I think we might have a bit of a, a higher quality of life. Don't don't shoot the messenger. I'm just saying uh, more things to do, and uh, you know if you like sports. Yeah, it depends what your your definition. Oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. I, I saw you <laughs> winking very discreetly. Uh, but it's true. It's, and you know what? You could probably find anywhere. Like um, friends of ours moved out to uh, um, Nova Scotia or New Brunswick, somewhere in there. Let's just look for. Uh, um, I'm trying to think of like let, let's just say St. John's. Again, so it's about the same price as it would be in Saskatchewan. So people decided that, you know what, uh, what's happening in uh, in BC and what was happening in Alberta at the time of the lockdown didn't make any sense that they could probably sell and then move away. I don't know what the prices were for that at that particular point, but I mean, they got to be, it was, it was definitely worth it for people to be doing that, right? Right now, so, you, you can still buy a decent home in East Central Alberta. Yeah. Um, or southwestern, southeastern Alberta for like sixty or seventy thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, that's that's incredible. Imagine being a retiree in Ontario with a home that they own or almost that they own. could sell for a million dollars and then exactly. move to Alberta. You you can win the lottery by moving to Alberta. There you wow. go. Is that how we're going to spin this? Come to Alberta. Well, I think, you know what, I think more people should come to Alberta. I think, I think people, um, with what we're seeing across Canada, uh, it makes sense to invest your time in Alberta right now. I mean, we're yeah. doing some amazing things. Our government, as imperfect as they are, they're making some common sense decisions. They're, they're doing things based on realistic outcomes, not on pandering for immediate votes. Yeah. And and I would say, yeah, you know, people should be considering Alberta to be their home. It's yeah. probably their home already. They just don't realize it. Yeah, that's right, too. Um, and our good friend here, has, uh, Ken, actually, that's Vicky. She says, I think all hardworking people should come to Alberta. Um, and you got to be hardworking. Don't don't be a slough. Um, what did Ralph say? I, I, I'll look at that in a second. But, uh, well, what did, like, Ralph Klein say? Yeah, I think he said something. He said, get a job, bum. And then uh, <laughs> that's right. And then that guy had, ended up making a million dollar business. There were signs. Uh, I went and visited a, a fella in Calgary, and he's got a bit of a museum set up in his his basement. Yeah, and yeah. there's picture a picture of a town in Alberta. I want to stay maybe Clarisome or something like that. But the town sign said, uh, "No jobs. We can't support our own. Uh, keep going." Yeah, yeah. Pretty wild times. Yeah, quite. Um, Ken says, but try getting financing, especially for anything with an acreage. Is that a problem here? Like, uh, you know, it's one thing to just buy a house. 
well, maybe that's why maybe that's why when people are looking at uh, houses in uh, central Alberta, they're looking at yeah. a house. Well, and my, my area it, around in East Central Alberta, and I'm I'm on the western boundary of East Central Alberta. Yeah. Um, an acreage here, a quarter section of land, you can buy a quarter section for around six hundred thousand yeah. dollars, which is a lot of money. But it actually, in the grand scheme of things, is pretty reasonable. Now, if you're going to spend six or eight hundred thousand dollars on an on an acreage like that of uh, uh, that type of land, well, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of debt to service. So you have to have a pretty high income, and I'm sure it would be difficult to qualify. Yeah. Um, the weird thing is, even acreages not like quarter sections or farmland but an acreage in that four to you know 12 acre parcel they're still five hundred thousand dollars yeah and and i don't know i guess it'd be would be difficult more difficult to qualify on a, a purchase like that than it would be on some farmland where you could turn a profit but who yeah. knows yeah you know? i don't know i haven't actually been a homeowner for a while i i ended up having to sell my house uh, throughout all the COVID stuff. And now I rent it back because I just, uh, you know, I had to pull all the equity out of it. And I came to a point where I said, well, I just, it doesn't, doesn't work anymore. And if I want to keep going with what I'm doing, then I guess that's what I do. So that's I've been kind of out of that bit of it, but in a way I'm glad I did because my mortgage would have been renewing again next year. And I'm not confident that our interest rates wouldn't have been, aren't going to be six or 7% next year. Oh, that's right too. Uh, Jim asks, why does Canada only do renewable mortgages unlike the U.S. that has a mortgage with the interest rate locked in for 30 years? I don't know if that, is that true? Is that what they do? I don't know if they lock it in for that long. Like typically it's like a five or 10 year, but it's amortized over 30 years, right? So right. maybe that's what uh, the, the question is. No matter what, if, if you ended up getting a house you know, like even five years ago, and it was at one or 2%. And you locked in only for five or 10 years, like Tanner said, kind of right from the get go, you got you got to make pay your maker, whatever you want to call it, just eventually, you're going to end up having to run through this and go, wow, you know what, I need to refinance, and I'm going to be at a six or eight or 10% mortgage now. Yeah, no, Jim's right. It is it is pretty, I don't, I think it might be possible in Canada, but it's exceedingly rare to lock in for 30 years. Yeah, yeah that's true. A five, in five the U.S., years. that's a thing, apparently. I'm reading about it right now. Oh, you did? Okay. Is yeah, and right? I wasn't sure if that's what happened. Yeah, that's... Uh, I mean, so what would happen if, if Canada did that? Like, let's say people did lock in for 2%, and, uh, and of course, now people are, you know, they're coming up on their mortgages. Mortgage, uh, the rate has gone up, and now it's 5 6 7 and these people are still sitting at a 2%, what would happen to them in 30 years? That'd be a problem for the banks. That's for, for sure. I would think. Right. And of course, we have, we have the CMHC too, the was it Mortgage Housing Corporation, whatever it is. And yes. I know that they'll only insure mortgages up to, I think, 25 years, I think, in Canada. That's how okay. that works. So yeah. see, like, like in that regard, like Bernier is right about that. That should be abolished. That thing. It's just more government involved in places it shouldn't be involved in. Yeah. Just in the in the name of, yeah, control, greater bureaucracy, more power over people, et cetera, et cetera. But if you have more money, you can bypass it. Right. You only need a yeah. CMHC insured mortgage if you want to do a five percent or something like that. But if you right. can save up twenty percent and and put it down, you completely bypass that. Right. 
Right. Of course. Which now, granted, it's increasingly difficult in today's economy. Almost impossible. Yeah. For a new homeowner, I would say yeah. that's almost impossible. Oh, yeah. Probably oh, a I very, very agree. low percentage of people that do it. Yep. Like exceeding, exceptionally low. Yep. Um, getting back to the comment that Chris had made about, uh, well, if you're a retiree and you're moving from Toronto, you sell your million dollar home and you buy a hundred thousand dollar home in central Alberta. The question is a lot of people that are moving to Alberta are retired. How the hell is that helping Albertans needing employees? That's a very good question. Good comment. I don't know what percentage of people would be moving here in that sort of scenario. I mean, I'm not even sure if, what scenario people do move. They obviously are moving here for jobs. And if they're moving here for jobs, maybe they're moving for the energy. Maybe their head office has moved. Maybe they're uh, a part of a, a conglomerate. Maybe they're just, uh, they have that entrepreneurial spirit that they say, you know, I'm going to move here because uh, less taxes. Um, there, I was looking for a stat and and uh, maybe someone can send me the uh, the link for it. But there was a stat that showed how much utilities are, are, are in Alberta versus Canada. And here, that was a bit of an eye opener for me. So even though we have our cost of gas, gasoline is pretty much the lowest in all of Canada. Um, our utilities, especially electricity are ridiculous. Like there, the stat that I saw, and, and again, I can't find it, but someone will find it. Um, like in Saskatchewan, let's say it was $30 for electricity and in Alberta it was a hundred dollars. You know, so what, Gary, are, are we borrowing from Peter to pay Paul in terms of that? What you just described is exactly what Tanner was talking about. You yeah. know the reason why our gas prices are so low in Alberta? Yeah. Government has removed themselves from the equation to some degree. Yeah. They We aren't paying provincial sales tax on that. Yeah. Um, and they allow our energy industry some leeway to produce and export their product, which keeps yeah. our products reasonably lower compared to the rest of Canada. Yeah. On the other hand, the NDP government firmly entrenched government in our energy as in electricity and utilities when they were in power. And now yeah. we're paying for that. I yeah. mean, there was a $1.5 billion bill that Albertans are still paying. We're still on the hook for because of how the NDP immersed themselves in the business of providing utilities to Albertans. Wow. That's a perfect example of what Tanner was talking about. Our, 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 that is a case study of why government should keep their dirty bungling fingers out of business, period. So if that's the case, didn't we have like a big surplus this year? Like, couldn't we just pay that off? Or is that out of my pay grade to, to make that comment? I think that's a Tanner question. Ah, well, it has to be what's politically profitable, usually. So yeah, if, yeah. If, if, if politics was of no consequence... You know, and um, no, I, I argue this regardless of politics, but it, it's very unlikely it'll happen because it's not politically fashionable. With a surplus, I'd put you, you'd cut taxes. That's what I would do with the surplus. Anytime yeah. you can cut taxes, is, is, it's a time you should do it. Chris is exactly right about the electricity. It's not the power production itself that is expensive, right? We're, with regard, we should, have, we should still be using coal or more of it. But with natural gas and coal, the production of power is exceptionally cheap, except in... Um, moments of exceptionally high demand, of course, then the power has to rise or the price of power has to rise in order, in order to meet the demand. And, you know, for all of that, you know, you actually can't describe how um, reliable Alberta's power grid is, even in comparison to the rest of North America, like yeah. Alberta versus Texas with regards to electrical um, reliability. It isn't even a contest, right? Our blackouts are 
you know, compared to others, exceptionally rare. It's yeah, reliable. But Chris is exactly right. Um, Jeffrey Church, a professor out of the University of Calgary, has an excellent paper on the CD Howe called Bill C-50. And I can't remember what the title is, but it's about Bill C-50. And he talks about how for the past X number of years, government, the Alberta government in this regard, has been overbuilding, for example, transmission capacity, those big, big power lines you see going north and south from Edmonton down to, you know, wherever it is, Lethbridge or, or by uh, Sheerness or whatever. You overbuild those big, big transmission lines. And as a consequence, someone has to pay for them. So the cost is transferred to you, to the consumer. And so like Chris mentioned, we're still paying for those now. Now that power purchasing agreements have uh, expired, that those costs for generation have increased, although next year they should decrease. The futures look like next year the, the cost of producing power in Alberta will decrease. Either way, um, and so power is more expensive than it should be. It goes back to government. Government is so good at screwing everything up. That's <laughs> that's their specialty. Yeah, there is one thing that our government has done that I found interesting. I can't remember what it's called, and I, the details escape me. But we just recently, uh, the provincial government passed legislation uh, determining how we use our surpluses. And there's a formula they use: X amount has to be used to pay down debt. Um, uh, X amount has to go into our heritage savings plan. Uh, it's a very conservative fiscally responsible piece of legislation mm -hmm. and it's extremely unpopular with a lot of people because they believe well if we have a surplus we should just be doing this and doing this and fixing roads and building yeah. this and building yeah. that and doing exactly what the liberal government has done over the last 12 years in this country that's brought us to this position so i was uh, i was really happy to see that um a government actually had the testicular fortitude to pass legislation like that that the, you know, the realistic outcome is favorable to to us. It's beneficial to us. But mm -hmm. the, in a popularity contest, it's a difficult sell because, as Tanner mentioned, there is a little bit of um, pain in the short term. Yeah. Um, just to get back to the housing, of course, we, we always go off on these tangents. I, I love these tangents. But um, is there a provincial government policy that can help create a little stability in this housing crisis? That's a good question. I don't know the scope of power that Smith and her government has. Again, politics aside, and I know that we want, we want individuals to be as free as possible. And we want all individuals to be as free as possible. Right now, if it were me, I would put a freeze on anyone coming into Alberta. I know now, I know Chris was talking about the opposite. And fair enough. Again, we want people to be free and work. But at the present time, the Alberta government's concern should be with the Alberta people, the people who are here now. Let's fix the problems we have in Alberta. Let's help. Let's, you know, again, I'm from the government. I'm here to help is dangerous. I know. But let's figure out these issues right now and try to, um, you know, try to remove for the present time any extenuate or any, um, what's the word when it's outside? Uh, exogenous variables that can come in and try and muddle the equation a little bit. Again, I'm not blaming people who want to move to Alberta for the housing crisis. That isn't yeah. their fault. It's not the immigrant, you know, it's not their fault. They're coming here because they're being invited to come. They're yeah. being let in by all means. You know, I would want to move to a province that loved freedom as much as Alberta does too. Yeah. But we're in such a state of crisis right now that the more the government, the provincial government can just slow things down and say, okay, here's what we're doing. Or here's what we're not going to do. 
We're just going to focus on the Alberta people at the present time. We're going to try and have the housing market catch up, the supply of housing catch up with the increased demand. So we're going to try and you can't manipulate the market, but we're going to use our policies to slow down the, the demand of housing by slowing down the number of people coming into the province yeah. and so try and level things out. And then when things are even, right, yeah. then when things are at equilibrium, then we can loosen up a little bit, relax just a little bit. And, yeah. and if desired, open things back up. Even the job market, something is so strange there. I know so many people who apply, and I mean this, this isn't hyperbole, who have applied for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of jobs on Indeed, right, here in Alberta, and they yeah. don't even hear back from companies. So, you know, governments can talk about oh, there's a labor shortage, there's a labor shortage. I don't see it. I see the opposite. I see people trying to apply for jobs and they can't or they can't get anything. And even if they do, it isn't enough to cover the cost of housing and groceries and a car. So yeah. the economy is in a perilous position right now and government's trying to hide it. The federal government's trying to hide it. But again, reality will be revealed. Yeah. Um, question, uh, how do you, how do you enforce a freeze though? Yeah. It's not like we have guns, guards on the border. And no, and right. that one. What I was going to say is before, before we get into that, um, a lot of these times when we bring in, there's the, there's, we'll call it immigrants from within Canada, people moving from BC or uh, Ontario as an example. And then there's also the, uh, the immigrants that, uh, the federal government are bringing in, they bring in 400,000 immigrants each year. Right. So in 10 years, in theory, we'll have like an extra 4 million people. This basically the size of Alberta that's being brought in in 10 years of that 400,000. It's not like they all land on Toronto and go, OK, now find us a house, although that certainly seems to be happening. But they're basically given where where they can move to. So in, in, in Alberta's case, they may say, you know what, we're going to push you up to Fort Mac or we'll push you to Grand Prairie. And then it's their problem. Right. And uh, and again, that forces uh, the, the the cities and the province to be dealing with, I'll call it unjust uh, immigration, and then it's their problem. Their it's well our problem as a, as a, a provincial collective to come up with housing for them. Like that's you know why don't why isn't the federal government just saying you know what we we said we're going to bring in four hundred thousand, but you know what I think for the next few years we'll only bring in two hundred. You know what, Kerry? The federal government does not have constitutional jurisdiction in matters of immigration to the provinces. And that's one of the things that Alberta needs to immediately take control of is yeah. immigration. Yeah. It's our it's our sovereign constitutional right to manage yeah. our own immigration. And that's yeah. one of the things we've allowed the federal government to do because, um, well, you know what? They're, they're just doing an okay job, so we'll just let them handle it. Yeah. Just like we've been doing with CP, with our pension plan, yeah. just like we've been doing or starting to, you know, possibly allow them to interfere in health. There's yeah. many areas yeah. where the federal government has exceeded their jurisdiction and in infringed on ours as a province. And yeah. we need to start taking that back. Immigration is one of them. So here we go. We can tie this into what the APP believes in. The, the Alberta Prosperity Project believes that Alberta should take control of every constitutional jurisdiction to which we have a sovereign right to at the moment. And in doing so, a lot of these problems begin to, uh, to have immediate solutions. Take control of immigration. That's going to deal with housing right now. Take control of policing. Well, all of a sudden, we don't have people sitting in jail for 570 days 
yeah. uh, because the federal government has a problem with them. These these types of things, right? So it's it's incredible how almost every single conversation we have in these webinars always comes back to one word that every single Albertan needs to know. And that word is sovereignty. Mm. We've given it up and we need it back to start fixing these problems. I am H O in my humble opinion. No. Um, I'm just going to look, uh, there's a couple more comments that I wanted to get to here. Uh, and, and again, I'm not even sure what some of these, uh, things are here. Um, Maria had asked, do you think your equity taxes will go up or will it disappear like Paul Hemman was going to do? I'm not sure exactly what uh, she meant with that, but well, with regards to tax, the honest yeah. truth is anytime a government can raise a tax, it'll do so. So yeah. I, can't I can't read the future. But yeah. if I were a gambling man and I put before me was a bet to say, do you think government will raise taxes on thing X, Y, Z or not? I'm taking the, I'm taking the yes every time. Yeah. Um, Cliff says, could it be that delivery and transmission costs for electricity are higher than electricity rates because we are having to build all these trans transmission lines from useless wind and solar farms or mm. for useless, I'm assuming. And, and, and I, I think Tanner, you did a, a little, uh, a blurb, uh, in, and we'll talk about Tanner, what he does outside of the, the APP webinars. Um, and he did a, a podcast on, um, uh, Daniel Smith basically saying, uh, okay, we're now in our, what was it? Sixth red alarm, uh, of, yeah. uh, of, of our grid being shut down and yeah. like that, that's an issue. That's definitely an issue. issue. Yes, precisely. So the, I can't remember who asked that question, but the right. gentleman who asked it might be quite right with regards to that paper on bill C 50 by church. Yeah. That was before we started having, it wasn't, it's not an ancient paper, but it's not, it wasn't completed a year ago either. This mm -hmm. was before we started having this almost exponential increase, at least until this freeze has happened yeah. um, of, of, uh, 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 construction of solar panels and and wind turbines and so on. So, yeah. but might of course that that requires a whole bunch of new, um, you know, infrastructure to handle the increased amount of electricity that's yeah. going through the grid. Yeah. But Carrie's right, right? You're right that we've had all of these red alerts because people are using a lot of power. And yeah. the problem with wind and solar is that when you need the power, it often isn't there. <laughs> when it's minus forty outside, the wind isn't blowing. And yeah. during the winter, the sun doesn't particularly shine. Yeah. And if I were, well, actually, if I was just living, if, you know, living in a day-to-day -day life, I do not desire to rely on the weather to yeah. decide whether or not I'm going to have power today. That isn't a desirable quality of life that I wish to endure. I'd yeah. very much be rather be guaranteed to have on-demand power when I want it, when I need it, so that I can ensure my life is lived to its highest quality. I know the individuals at the hospital are the same. Those people who require machines to live at the hospital would very much prefer that the power was on demand and wasn't going to go out because the wind wasn't blowing. Yeah. <laughs> the same is true for people driving, for people working in an office, for people flying in an airplane, and so on and so on. So we want, you know, this, like that book by the, the two books by Alex Epstein, right? The Moral uh, Case for Fossil Fuels and Fossil Future are excellent. Because yes. he's exactly right when he says that this isn't to say you want to remove oil and gas 
like from Alberta at the present time, I'm not saying Smith is saying this, but those radicals who want to, yeah. when they say that, they're arguing from an anti-human position. Yes. Like yeah. the quality of life and life itself has increased so exponentially because of oil and gas, because of the power that's guaranteed to be there when we need it. And it saved the whales. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's like it's cold. Yeah. Uh, coal is burning. It's hot. Natural gas is burning. It's cold. Natural gas is burning. It's minus 100. Natural gas is burning. The yeah. same isn't true of wind and solar. And the so wind and solar I'm, don't work and the hospital doesn't have their power. Do you know what powers the hospital at that point? Diesel fuel. Sure. Well, yes, they did know that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. Because it's there. And so this idea to take it all away, even in, you know, I am so vehemently opposed to any sort of agenda 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years into the future. Yeah. It's the same thing. Let the markets work. Let yeah. the markets work. Yeah. Don't, it's, that's just government involving itself to once again take more control over the population. Yeah. I have an agenda. It's called, uh, uh, agenda 26 and it's simply titled Alberta prosperity. Mm. That's it. Human flourishing. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah. I can get behind that one. Um, and then of course we, we didn't really bring this up today. Uh, but it is definitely a big a market thing. The number of people in the streets, because there is a lack of housing. Sure. No, I was going to say it's not lack of housing. It's a lack of affordable housing. Well, even that, Carrie, the consider this. If if you or I were in a situation where um, we could no longer afford our house and we needed somewhere to stay, we would have a place to stay because I would invade your house or you would invade mine. You know, we have a support system to allow right. that. Yeah, and, you're right. And the majority of people do. There are some who don't, uh, yeah. self-made people who really have to only rely on themselves. But there's another crisis in this province that contributes to the homeless situation more than anything else. And that's addiction and mental health issues. Yeah, that's true. Of all of the homeless people in, in uh, Alberta, the vast majority have addiction or mental health issues that contribute to their, their uh, lack of housing. And it's, it's because, you know, they're not getting, or they weren't getting the help that they needed to, you know, be, be, uh, uh, um, participants in society mm -hmm. they, they just can't do it so they're tossed aside and they end up on the street and until recently there's really been no mechanism to help those people because you know it's their human right to be homeless well i would say if they have a mental health issue that needs to be dealt with and they need some help it's our duty and responsibility to get them the help they need if they can't get the help themselves yeah. that's the major problem with homelessness in this province it's not not lack of housing well, and, and Charlotte basically says, I've been hearing from people up here that they cannot find a place to rent. And again, it's, yeah. I, and I know, I know there's both sides. There's the one that it can't find affordable housing. And there's also that you just, there's not enough housing. Yeah. And if you can't find a place to rent where you're at um, and you're fairly stable and you're cognitive and you can, you can make decisions that are to your benefit, you move. You move to somewhere where there are houses. You move where there is a job. I moved from Vancouver Island to Alberta because there was employment and housing. Yeah. And both of those were in short short uh, supply in Van on Vancouver Island. So I moved here. How but if I wasn't if I wasn't capable of making that type of a decision, I would maybe end up on the streets where I lived be because of that. Yeah. 
Yeah. And people are saying, you know, different costs. People are saying, you know, it's this much per per month. It's a $2,200 rent and a $2,200 damage deposit. And, it's unreal. Uh, and, unreal. and people just don't have 4400 bucks that they could do. I know even my, my younger brother who moved, moved back here back in April, March, um, he's living with a couple of people. And because that's how he has to live here in, in uh, Alberta. Vicky posted in the comments there some really good. It's too long for the to put on the screen, but oh, yeah. some good stats about. Oh, that one there. It oh, covers you. It's okay if it covers you. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> People with yeah. mental illness experience homelessness for longer periods of time and have less contact with family and friends. In general, 30 to 40% of those experience homelessness have a mental illness. This figure climbs to 76% in one international study of wealthy countries that also include the substance use disorders. Based on Canadian data from 2009, 20 to 25% of people experiencing homelessness suffer from concurrent disorders, severe mental illness and addictions. So these, these things are things that governments really, this is out of the government's realm and it's into society's responsibility, right? Uh, this is more uh, the human aspect and less administration. And I'll, I'll give you an example. So uh, I, I had a guy come to work for me and yeah. he was literally living on the streets of Edmonton. And so we picked him up, brought him down, gave him a place to stay, bought him a bunch of clothes, got him what he needed, found out that he had frostbite on his toes from sleeping outside in Edmonton in wow. the middle of winter. So got him medical attention. He ended up losing his toes. Um, now, here's the thing. The guy was a fantastic, a fantastic cook, a fantastic baker, but he had some issues, some demons that he was living with that I found out about later that prevented him from participating in society to the point where even though he had everything he needed, he had a roof over his head, uh, a job if he wanted it, all of those things and a support system, he chose to go back and live on the streets because he wanted to be on the streets. And I found out later he had an extremely traumatic experience where his, his wife was actually murdered at work. They worked together and he went on days off uh, instead of her because they had a fight and whatever he wanted to go party or something wow. and she was murdered the next day and this man lived with that trauma for years and it caused him to to go down that path yeah and he's you know the the it gets even sadder since then he's passed away he, he od'd about a year after um after i met him but these are the types of things that only a prosperous society that isn't completely uh, completely uh, distracted by trying to pay a $3,000 a month rent. These are the things that a society has to have the time and the, and the willingness to help with, right? So yeah. as we go through these, these regulatory and administration type things with government and we improve the quality of life for the people in the province, those things start to be dealt with as well because we have more time to do it. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, it's like pollution. A country where you're you you don't know where your next meal is coming from you're not concerned about your environment you're concerned about surviving in yeah. our province right now we're not so much concerned about our neighbors and their the state of their mental health as we should be we're we're totally in in engrossed with our own survival and paying our bills yeah. and so uh you know it, it becomes even more of it, it becomes even more critical to start dealing with some of these things so we can get back to fixing the, the things that government has no business and can't fix. Yeah. 
And Vicky followed up on the stats uh, that she posted and says, we used to have stronger communities and more church. It used to fall primarily on the church and community to take care of those that were less fortunate or mentally ill. And that's and true. We had time. We had time yeah. to do that. Right? Yeah. I do talk longly. Who mentioned that? They're, they're right. <laughs> yeah. Chris, Chris has been talking for the, the hour and 15 minutes out of the hundred, uh, the hour and 32 minutes. <laughs> well, I'll, you know, to, I do have to go pretty quick here because I got some work to do, but uh, yeah, so. yeah, no, and uh, you know, bringing 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 the church back into it again. If if we're looking at it as uh, as a solution for uh, for Alberta and how do we do that, um, you know, the we could basically have our slate clean and and do what what we want in Alberta, and uh, and maybe we as a uh, society decide that Alberta really needs to bring back the uh, the core values that were brought. Uh, and and basically how uh, Canada was started on, and uh, core values. Yeah. Can I interrupt and talk longly again? Sure, you may as well because you're going to do it anyways. This is a huge kudos to Tanner. Yeah. So one of the comments that I get very fairly consistently all across Alberta from people from all walks of life is, "Why do you have to talk about God? Hmm. Why is there so much talk about God?" And my answer is this: You know, nobody wants to force anybody to believe in God, but we acknowledge that if we're looking to ourselves for a foundation to build our society on, we're going to fail because we're inherently um, uh, imperfect. The only way that we can successfully lay a foundation to, to stand on and build a, a prosperous society is if we look to something higher than ourselves. In my case, as a Christian, it's God. That's what we look to. So I want to say to you, Tanner, uh, huge kudos to you for maintaining your position on your faith through all this mm -hmm. uh, I, i've oh. heard people say things about you know when you talk about god and i always say well he you might not agree with what tanner does but i guarantee he's probably praying for you so you should just say thank you that uh, is true. And, and that's that's it's a tough one because uh you know everyone a lot of people want to be politically correct and get more followers or whatever but there's very few people who stand on their principle and and walk their faith like you do so i just wanted to say thank you for me and for every other albertan who appreciates you praying for them whether the whether or not they believe in your god and that oh. is also one of the reasons why i visited your website and i bought my one-year subscription to your oh. newsletter and your podcast and i bought a bunch of copies of your book although amazon would only let me buy three because i want to support people like you who uh, stand on the principles and don't back down in the face of politics well, thank you. I so appreciate that. It's very kind because you're right. Without a foundation, everything crumbles. If you build your house on sand, this is what the scriptures say. If you build your house on sand, why should you be surprised when it falls? So we need some rock, some immovable rock upon which we build our society or else it'll crumble. Yeah. And so actually that I won't give away what the topic is for Bibles and Bulls on Sunday for the cowboy yes. church. Yes. But it has to do with bulls. That's what I'll say. And it has to do with, with what you're talking about, Chris. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. And I have had some comments about that. Oh, why do you have to put Bibles in there? Why, why does it have to be about Bibles? And I just reply, you know, it's not about Bibles. We're having a church service on Sunday, acknowledging on Sunday. that Alberta is a mostly Christian province and people want to go to church. So we don't want to take away their time to be at church. So we're offering a church service in the arena. And That's the other right. way of looking at it is, uh, you know, if you're a cowboy and you like to rodeo, well, there's a good chance there'll be some sinning on Saturday night. And you're probably <laughs> going to have to do some repenting on Sunday morning. 
So, you know, we'll facilitate yeah. both. Yeah. So for those of you who may not know what we're talking about, uh, we're uh, doing a Bibles and Bulls uh, event in Bashaw, which is just north of uh, Mirror, kind of uh, kind of in the middle of Stetler, Lacombe, and uh, Camrose, if you want to look at that. And uh, the Bashaw Ag Grounds, it's a, it's a great facility. And uh, it's this weekend. We've got... Um, uh, vendors, we've got uh, barrel racing, we've got live music. Um, I'm going to be hosting karaoke on the Friday night. The Saturday, we have Craig Moritz and uh, another band called Third Degree. Uh, we've got uh, free pancake breakfast on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, and of course, the reason we bring this up is because Tanner is going to be there and speaking at the Cowboy Church on Sunday. So it'd be great to have everybody out there and uh, and say hi to Tanner or even come by and say hi to us. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. It's very kid friendly. There's uh, bouncy castles. We've got a couple of other cool things that the kids are going to be doing. And uh, you can come out, you can even go camping. And uh, and you can get the tickets at uh, thechrisandcarryshow.com. Uh, there is, um, and if you if you happen to go on the the Chris and Carrie show, uh, we have all our episodes uh, from uh, 2022. We actually started in 2021. I haven't done that yet, but 2022. There's some with Tanner on there as well, and then in 2023, we we have uh, uh, backups of uh, APPs webinars and and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, the uh, uh, I'm looking forward to having uh, Tanner there and uh, and. and hearing what uh, he's going to be saying on uh, on Sunday specifically. Oh, so, no. Oh, no, he says. JJ says Bashaw Meats is good as well. Bashaw Meats is fantastic, and Very I good. forgot to bring them a poster. Oh, well, then I'm I'm up there tomorrow. I'll end up doing that. Yeah, you do it, because Bobby's like seven feet tall. He looks like he yeah. should have a sword in his hand, so you, yeah. you bring it to him, because it's... Okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'll do it. Um, yeah. And folks, there will also be an Alberta Prosperity Project booth there. So if you want to be involved and you want to donate a few hours of your time to go and help man the booth, um, we would really appreciate that. You can reach out through the Alberta Prosperity Project uh, uh, website under the volunteer tab. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So that's another reason why we're mentioning Bibles and Bulls is because the Alberta Prosperity Project will have a presence there and we need your help to make that work so and then and that brings up a whole thing about uh, you know if, if you enjoyed uh, the these webinars and, and what we what we provide uh, some would say entertainment but we call it edutainment um, by all means you know um, see if you can volunteer see if you can uh, if you can step up and uh, and help out uh, however we're we're going to be doing a lot of events come this fall and into the new year and of course we're going to need volunteers for setting all that stuff up and uh, and I know even uh, we've talked about this before just in terms of getting people involved and one of the things that Chris had uh, brought up uh, with, at a previous webinar was about we're we have our current government that is in power right now the UCP and they are here for four years, whether you like it or not. And uh, but what's happening in November is they're actually having their AGM in Calgary. And it kind of makes a great thing to do to go and actually talk about the policies, see what policies are going to be coming in and uh, and make change. If you don't like the way things are and you, and, uh, you want to make some change, this is definitely a way you can make change uh, at least at least on the surface. Uh, what ends up happening is they make these policy changes 
uh, and they're voted upon at the AGM. And then, of course, they have to bring them into legislature. And that, of course, that's what we're hoping for, is that any of these policy changes would end up getting into the ledge. However, if they don't, yeah, actually, proposal. Yeah, you're right. Uh, but if they don't make it into the legislature, then that kind of shows what uh, is actually happening in terms of uh, uh, the government. And maybe they're not as grassroots as uh, we want them to be. So it'll be a, a good litmus test to see how well uh, the, the government uh, does listen to uh, Albertans uh, in general. I'm very hopeful. I'm, yeah. I'm hopeful of what's happening. Um, I don't think it's going to be easy. But at the very least, we've seen in the last three years, if we get involved and we show up and we do our democratic duty, yeah. uh, not just at, at election time, yeah, we can make yeah. some changes. And yeah. I'm excited about that. Um, Bonnie asks, Tanner, will your service be live streamed? Would love to hear it. Ah, it won't be live streamed. Now, I actually have yet to ask Chris and Carrie, but but okay. I'll ask if I can record it because if I can, I will. And then I'll post I think you, it. I, I think you can definitely record it. Of yeah, course, we, we want, we want thumbs and seats, right? So, of course, we want that uh, to be able to do that. And we understand that people might be unable to make it. But, I mean, if if they're, the point is, is just to listen to the message, then it doesn't necessarily need to be live. Much like these webinars, we, we've had this conversation, too, about, you know, why do you do a webinar? Why why isn't it just a straight presentation? Well, it could be. For one thing, it would only be an hour long, which maybe is a good thing. But you wouldn't be able to ask these live questions, right? And uh, But if, if Tanner's uh, in a situation where he's, where he's, uh, he's up there uh, preaching, then he's certainly not going to be able to answer questions that would be coming in from a live. So that's kind of, for me, that's, that's what, what makes more sense to be uh, a webinar or a live stream versus just something that's recorded. So that. Uh, Ted, are you going to be out there for the whole weekend or just a Sunday? I think so far just a Sunday. At least that's my plan, but it'll, <laughs> as you know, life is so busy right now that things change on a daily basis. So yeah. who knows? Yeah, are people combining out? in your neck of the woods yeah right they're now? getting there they're starting teas we're quite a bit later i think like actually red deer is like that area right now but we're quite a bit later but they're they're starting yeah which is good yeah, yeah. well hopefully gonna... you can make it out for a little bit of the festivities because i'm sure that people would uh, be happy to bump into you and have a conversation with you oh it'd be my pleasure yes i'll do my best once again, uh, it's been Tanner in the day, and uh, yeah, you've you've got quite a social media presence. You're on uh, Twitter and Facebook and uh, and YouTube. Where else are you? The, honestly, the two biggest are Facebook and my website. Just my website, yeah. tannerinaday.com. Yeah. Um, the reason Facebook, I think, is largest is because at least at the present time, the style of videos that I do are most conducive for an audience on Facebook. They're shorter. They're yeah. try. I try and keep them to the point. And um, they're just, you know, little pieces of information. The website's a bit different. That's where I'm able to write out my thoughts and so on. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so honestly, wherever I love doing podcasts and stuff, you search up my name, something yeah. comes up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you like uh, this kind of stuff, folks, um, please consider supporting Tanner with a subscription on his, uh, his mail list and his webpage. Also, please consider joining the Alberta Prosperity Project as a member. Uh, yeah. Memberships are very reasonably priced. As a matter of fact, it's considerably <laughs> cheaper than Netflix, way cheaper than Disney Plus, and it's way more, it's way better for you than either of those are. In addition, um, the only way this stuff happens is uh, with your financial support. So if you are able to, please consider making a donation either uh, with cash through the website or volunteering your time to help 
move Alberta towards a prosperous and free future. And the only way we can do that is if we do it together. So we need your support any way you can. That's right. I've got a little ticker going along the bottom too. That's asking if you were a video creator, podcast host, live streamer, journalist, or blogger with a passion for Alberta independence. If so, we want to talk to you, contact us at comms at albertaprosperityproject.com. I'm not stepping away from this position. So it's not like I'm just saying, Hey, come take, take this position over. Uh, But you know what? It is kind of nice to have a little bit of a reprieve and actually be able to do things. There are, there's a lot of things that happen on Wednesdays uh, that I'd like to be involved with. And I know that Chris would like to be involved with and, and by all means, if, if you can uh, step in for uh, one or or one or two uh, days a week, or, uh, you know, that would be fantastic as well. So the more the merrier, plus uh, you don't have to keep looking at, uh, Chris's bad haircut all the time. I'll wear a hat next time. I'm sorry. Oh, there you go. And so I think with that, I think we'll wrap it up. Uh, unless you guys have any last last things that you want to say. I think we I think we're are we done? I'm good. <laughs> Chris, is just good. Chris, maybe Chris is frozen. I'm not sure. No, I was just waiting for you to almost end it. Then I was going to say something and say that I got the last word. <laughs> <laughs> As you always do. So with that, thank you, Tanner and Chris. Uh, of course, for thank you for everyone for staying online for the whole hour and 45 minutes and listening and commenting and asking questions. And we do this every Wednesday. And uh, next Wednesday, as a matter of fact, uh, we have uh, Tash Fishman who is um, uh, oh, nice. a, a great lady who does unschooling uh, your children and uh, a podcast she has a website and uh, she's a speaker and so if you want to hear all the the stuff the bad stuff that they're doing in schools and why you need to take them out or at least give them other options then uh, next wednesday is going to be that great of a webinar for you to listen to and with that is chris going to be the last last word i am i am going to get the last word in and i'm going to say thank you carrie for doing what you do and offering and volunteering your time um, for other people around you, even though you don't have enough time for yourself. No, we really appreciate you. And you. Uh, I'm sure everybody loves you even more than I do. So thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. Now I'm going to tear up and, uh, and then uh, close off the, the, uh, the webinar. So thank you so much guys. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you guys later and uh, everyone have a great night. Thanks. See you at the rodeo. Absolutely. Bibles and bolts. Yeehaw. <laughs>